Welcome to my podcast, The Data Optimist, which explores how technology and data is being used to benefit society. In this episode, we examine how technology is being used to address shortages of labor through the use of robotics. The World Economic Forum estimates that technology will in fact create more jobs than it will displace, creating around 97 million new jobs net by 2025. When examining the future of the labour market, the focus is often on the jobs that technology will replace, yet in fact in some sectors, technology could be used to address labour shortages. Across all sectors, the UK is predicted to face around a 2-3% to labour shortage in the next decade, but this is even more acute in farming. There is currently an inquiry by the UK's Parliamentary Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee to explore the problems with labour shortages and the impact on the food and farming sector both now and in the future. The farming sector is facing continuing problems with labour, exacerbated by Brexit, the government's immigration policies, but also by the pandemic and a general trend away from seasonal work. Labour shortages vary across the different sectors of farming, from some 15% in some sectors to 30% in others. These problems have a further impact on society, as unpicked fruits and vegetables contribute to food waste and could also lead to food insecurity. Today I speak with Florian Richter. Muddy Machines was founded by Florian and Christopher Chavas in 2020, and they are developing a new generation of field robots for use in farming. Florian, welcome. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for having me here. Before we discuss Muddy Machines, could you tell us about your background before founding the company? Yes, interesting one. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a farmer. Um, I'm, I'm not an engineer. My background is um, internet startups. So I started my career at, at Google. Um, I have a business background and I've been kind of bouncing around for the last 10, 12 years in kind of online marketing, subscription e-commerce, fintech. So started a couple of companies um, and really when looking around for the for the next venture to, to start, I um, took some inspiration from my in-law uh, family who actually do run a farm in Portugal, but it's also a very recent affair. So we don't have decades of um, family farming pedigree, but it kind of gave, um, it kind of um, put it to my attention how much scope there was for technology advancement in literally every every aspect of, of farming today. I mean, they do cattle farming. They have about 1,500 hectares of, of meat production. Um, and now with Muddy Machines, we ended up in horticulture. So it's a very different uh, place. Um, but like you were you're saying in your intro, it's, it's all about labor shortages and, and horticulture is where they are most severe. So um, when you decided to start Muddy Machines, you started thinking about farming. Was there anything, how did you go about starting it? What, what were the first steps that you took um, before you came up with the, with the decision to create these robots? So I think that... We, we were part of a um, program called Entrepreneurs First, which has a very methodical way about identifying and um, kind of stress testing your, your ideas and your, and your hunches. Um, but for me personally, I had made my mind up that I wanted to do a business in, in, in farming in general. I wanted to bring some sort of modern technology to farming um, because I held this fundamental belief that 
farming gets a bad reputation for its carbon intensity, for the kind of runoffs in terms of chemicals that are being produced and the impact that it has, while it actually has a the opportunity to be, you know, carbon neutral or carbon negative. Um, but it's a it's there's a there's a massive distance between that kind of inside inside right this kind of um, conviction to okay what are you actually going to do about it um and i guess because of my my background is business I, I needed to really find something that was also a commercially viable model right if you only um only uh, criteria for starting a business how much carbon you sequester you you sometimes lose the customer in, in all of this and so at entrepreneur first they they pair business people with um deep tech people. And that's why I met Chris, who, funnily enough, had a very similar view of the of the farming world um, and brought this skill of, okay, I can build robots, right? He's a full stack robotics engineer with time spent at Dyson and, and some other innovative, com innovative companies. And so how did we start? We just started talking to farmers. And we spoke to dairy farmers, we spoke to livestock, um, meat production businesses. We spoke to um, arable farmers, people with massive operations, uh, growing cereals and, and, and other bits and pieces um, until we um, came upon a, a meeting organized by the, I believe it was the Knowledge Transfer Network where they were having top fruit and vegetable farmers on. That was about March, 2020. And we were just overwhelmed by the severity of need that these um yeah these farmers um were were um describing and you you mentioned in your introduction that it's for 30 20 30 percent 15 percent i've just come off a call with with a very large grower here in the uk who says next year i'll be only able to harvest half of my produce that's amazing and um, this is a perennial crop he can't do anything about it it's in the ground it's growing and so he knows he cannot harvest half of it and so the question is how long can these guys survive at that rate tell us about the field robots your field robots exactly um what they do and what, what um they're doing now the vantage point for, for field robots is how the, the biggest use they can deliver is replacing manual work the the biggest most labor-intensive task for horticulture is harvesting. Horticulture is famous for having a very large manual labor component of usually half or over 60%. There's some, there's a lot of work also being done in the pack house. Um, but for something like uh, green asparagus, it is probably 30 to 40% of your cost is literally the picking. Um, and so the what our first robot is designed to do is go out into a field autonomously and harvest green asparagus, spear by spear, hour after hour, day after day. Um, in this category of selectively harvested field vegetables, you don't have what many of you, your, or your listeners are probably accustomed to in farming, a, okay, one week, all the crops need to come in, and we only have one week to do it. It's, it's actually quite different. You have a 12-week or more season where you have to go out every day to pick what is ripe. It doesn't grow at the same rate. And so this is where the where the high labor cost component comes from, because you have to send out people day after day after day, no matter whether you have a hailstorm, you have burning sunshine or pouring rain, these people need to go out and pick and make these visual 
judgment calls of okay, this spear is ready to go this spear is not ready to go yet we can leave it for another day and that's where a robot with a advanced computer vision system a, a um, machine learning system can actually really make an impact by replicating this analysis and potentially even harvest in a more accurate way than humans are because humans get tired once you have a robot working properly and designed it well it, it doesn't get tired in terms of replacement of labor then how many um, people can each of your machines substitute we are currently shooting for three to four people per machine um, but what matters to the grower is the cost per kilo harvested mm-hmm. right so you you can if you have a very very cheap robot it's fine if the robot is half as fast as the people because you can probably run the, the robot for double shifts. So you have many factors in your in your favor that mean you don't have to necessarily beat the, the productivity of 10, 20, 30 people. And there is another aspect to this. Combine harvesters for arable farming are traditionally very large. Even tractors are several tons heavy. One of the key elements that produce yield for growers in general, but specifically in horticulture, is soil compression. So if you're designing a machine that can replace 20 or 30 people, you're, tre- you're designing something that is as heavy as a combine harvester. We're talking north of 10 tons, and that really compacts your soil. So we are our vision is to build machines that may only replace one to three people, but that are very light and also cheap enough to really the farmer doesn't care if it's one machine or 10 machines as long as they deliver a similar cost as a human does and it is a planable source of labor right so that our farmer can say okay give me 20 machines for next season he can make a massive tick box on his labor requirement for next year that way so what it is it's it's removing the uncertainty of getting the labor to be able to pick the fruits in, of vegetables. In the first instance, it is about removing the vulnerability to labor access at a reasonable cost. And as we advance in our um, in our development, we can then make a take a stab at the actual cost. But yeah. initially, we just need to be in line with the cost, and then over time, uh, we can drive the cost down by you know scaling the components and getting better at assembling them, etc. One of the criticisms we often hear um, about robotics and technology in general is that they're going to take away jobs. Um, But it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, and often it is a case of jobs being created and humans and machines working together, as as they often do now. For the use of your field robots, what is the relationship with human labour? How does it change um, the workers that the farms would employ? So, oh, there are many things to unpack here, right? Um, so one is there is a year round, there is a problem in rural areas around having attractive, high skilled, well paid jobs. Yeah, the the um, seasonal workforce that comes in and out of the of the region just to do the harvest. It's actually not quite straightforward about the impact they have on the local communities. They usually live on farm in bungalows in improvised conditions. I mean, they're all paid fair. We have these infrastructure and these systems here in, in all of the European countries. Um, but it's it's a it's quite a precarious situation and they that's probably part of the reason as 
the standards standards of living in in central and eastern europe increase you have less and less supply of that type of labor it's bloody hard work to come over to the uk for for six months and and, and work in the field so this job this kind of labor is is no longer supplied so we're not really supplanting these people we are actually enabling the farmers to continue their operation that way but the other aspect is that um, we're never going to replace 100% of the people working in farming. There are today, for example, in, a, in an asparagus harvest team, you have one person driving the tractor. You have 10, 15 people doing the harvest, putting crop onto, onto boxes carried by the tractor, and you have a team leader who is supervising everybody. This team leader can absolutely lead a team of robots um, and make sure that they keep on operating small part boxes, plug them into the charging stations, fix some minor issues. So in a way, what we are hoping to achieve is, is provide some upskill um, trend in terms of the labor required on farms, make living in these rural areas more attractive for, for younger professionals that have um, skills in this. You don't have to be a rocket or robotic scientist to operate these robots, but you have to have some kind of technical understanding. Um, and yeah, this 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 hopefully actually benefits these communities um, as opposed to a thousand people in to a small village every year for a couple of months and then out again. One of the main benefits of machine technology is that we can often collect information that we couldn't do manually or, or is difficult to do. What type of data do your machines collect and what insights can they provide? So in order to pick a, a sphere uh, or let's just extricate from asparagus, right? You need to really understand what is crop, what isn't crop. And that already enables you to apply the insights that you gather into things like uh, weed management or, or pest control, right? Because you know what is there in terms of crop and you know what isn't supposed to be there. Then you can um, develop skills to, to mitigate these kind of weed uh, pressures in a, in a non-mechanical and non-chemical way but it, which is very positive. And then you can provide data how many liters or tons of, of pesticides have been saved um, with this application process, which helps, again, the farmer to manage their carbon footprint, their environmental footprint. Then when you look to the actual crop that you're harvesting, of course, you need to, like I mentioned, you need to be able to tell, is this ready to be harvested or not? So you analyze the performance or the growth of the, of the crop um, and that can give you a very insightful and real-time yield map of the field. So currently, I mean, you, you wonder, are farmers not, do, do they not already know this? Well, they, they simply don't have the, the resources and the time available to send an expert into the field and look at every single plant. And when you have a robot that is making harvest decisions, you, you have this kind of data available almost as a byproduct. So you can, on the one hand, provide um, real-time yield data to the grower, tell them how a season is going. Um, and then also with that data, do two things. One, where do you have to intervene in the field? Because there might be some uh, infestation or some soil compaction. And secondly, you can more accurately forecast the yield. So how many tons are you going to harvest tomorrow, the day after, the day after that, which can really make a massive difference to the grower's bottom line. If you know how many tons you harvest in a couple of days, you can 
achieve much better prices on the wholesale market. And use resources in a better way, presumably, you know. That... Um, yes, of course. I mean, the, the that comes more into the in, kind of intervention bit of the what do I do if I realize there's a yield drop in a certain part of the field. Currently, you can only observe these drops three or four months after harvest because you see how the ferns uh, grow out. If you can do this within the harvest season, you're you're gaining a quarter of the year in um, intervention time. Yeah, and there, there's, I think with with the the labor replacement or the labor um, shortage angle is a very obvious one, right? But the the data angle, we are only beginning to understand how how massive this can be for farming. I mean, a couple of years ago, um, think about how you made decisions and in terms of your marketing spend, right? You, you had no idea where these were going, and now you have click tracking, cookies, etc. And and farming has very little understanding in a kind of a real-time environment about how their crop in the ground is performing. And this and this could, this could make a massive difference to how, how, how we feed people in the future. I've started seeing on some food products um, labels that estimate the CO2 emissions that are involved in their production so that consumers can see what the carbon impact is of the items they buy. And, and the Carbon Trust has developed a carbon footprint label, which it certifies and assesses uh, carbon emissions from the extraction of raw materials for the product, its production, distribution, right up until its eventual disposal. What could be the contribution in terms of the data needed for this process and the use of your machines? One major component to um, carbon footprint of a produce you buy is the food miles that are needed to deliver to the supermarket. And so there are so many crops that are perfectly viable to grow here domestically. This is true for any country. But if your labor force is going away and you will stop growing these crops, where are they going to come from, right? Best case, they come from, from Spain. Worst case, they are flown in from Peru or, or even further afield. So this might not be a data angle, but by making the labor available, we can safeguard domestic production and therefore very directly reduce food miles. Um, on the actual production bit, you know, we can with these robots, we can very accurately track how much energy is being used to to perform the harvest, and um, we can always compare this against traditional um, production or, or harvesting methods. Soil compaction is a very difficult thing to to measure and put into numbers to print on a label, um, but it's it's more like the absence of soil compaction that is that matters. Um, and then you can obviously um, model things like, okay, we're using sustainably sourced electricity versus a tractor that um, uses farm diesel. What was the emission uh, impact saved here? And I mean, also don't underestimate uh, the carbon footprint caused by the harvest workers themselves, right? They, and there's also a cost to, I think in the UK, we need 80,000 people a year. These people need to come here one way or another. They, they, they will have to have secondary accommodation here. Uh, which which has a, a carbon emission uh, connected to it, so it's farming never gives you a very clear cut answer to things. It's just a massive. It's 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 a it's a big environment where there's lots of components, um, but overall, um, I think that the robots can make a very meaningful carbon footprint reduction impact. You have a prototype machine now, which has been successfully developed for asparagus harvesting. What is the next stage for your company? 
So there are many more crops like asparagus that are very labor intensive. We are currently working on a tender stem broccoli um, harvest skill. Um, we are also looking at other um, field vegetables. I've, I've talked about uh, the opportunities in mechanical weeding. Um, and there are also practices you can apply while you're harvesting that reduce the amount of labor you need in the pack house in terms of sorting and grading. Um, so we are kind of pushing the boundaries on all of these um, skill sets of the of the machine, but at the same time we are also um, you know we're, we're really building a platform here for multiple tools to be carried in in the field, um, and just repurposing a, a tractor or some other conventional tool carrier that is a very heavy diesel powered steel construction doesn't quite fit the bill here. They are too expensive. They are too, they are too heavy. So we are putting a lot of resources in designing a very novel, lightweight, autonomous field robot that can be the carrier for all of these different uh, tools and be and be used year round. Um, there's a massive amount of work ahead of us. Um, just think about the complexities of how does one robot communicate with another to say, okay, I have a bit, a bit more work to do here. Can someone help me come over from another row? How do you optimize this swarm operation uh, live in, in a field? How do you charge these machines? How do you maintain them? How do you transport them from one field to the other? Uh, these are all questions we need to solve together with, with growers. Sounds very exciting one way or another, um, Florian. Thank you so much for your time today with us to explain what you're doing. Um, for those of you who are interested in learning more about Muddy Machines, their website is www.muddymachines.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Data Optimist. I hope you'll tune in again. Until then.